Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Gun episode 130 here of your new favorite WVU football podcast. This is a bit of a breaking news, instant reaction type pod. I don't know if we're quite calling this a no huddle, but obviously we've got some things to discuss here. Namely, the Mountaineers have a bowl game, a bowl opponent, a bowl destination, and also the college football playoff. Uh, maybe it's last year in the four-team format having its greatest controversy that it's seen in nearly its decade of existence. So Jed and I will get into that. A little bit as well, too. I am Wesley Euler. Got the best teammates in the business. The signal caller, Jed Drenning. Uh, again, this was kind of a, we're throwing this together. We're recording this on a Sunday night. Our guy, Big O, is, is, is down in North Carolina, driving back from North Carolina, was doing some family stuff. So you just got Jed and I here for this one today. As always, ITG brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. Jed, I also wanted to give a shout out here right off the bat to Tim Johnston, and some new friends of the show here, Johnston Equipment. Make sure you're checking them out at johnstonequipment.com. Since 1954, Johnston's mission has been to develop valued customer partnerships by providing precision, cost-effective material handling, equipment to move product in, out, and throughout your warehouse, service solutions, and tools to better manage your productivity, racking, storage, and system solutions to optimize storage of your goods, your programs to enhance your ability to protect both your assets and your people. That's Johnston Equipment. Make sure you're visiting their new location outside of Weston on Route 33. I mean, look at this, Jed. It's growing, baby. The brand's growing. We got new friends here on the show. Growing. Tim's good people. Uh, they've got a, a brand new spot out there, sparkling new spot uh, off the four lanes you touched on, not far at all from I-79. If you are if you get off the exit, the Weston exit at exit 99 and head toward Buckhannon, you're going to see it right there on the right. It's a great spot. Love it. Well, welcome to Tim. Welcome to Johnston Equipment. And uh, we're excited to have you guys in the fold here for everybody's new favorite WVU football podcast. Jed, speaking of our Mountaineers, eight and four season. We've known for a few weeks we were going to go bowling. It took some time today. We were all kind of sitting around like, all right, ACC, can you get your bleep together here and we can figure this out and we can see what bowl game we're in? Well, Jed, if for those watching on YouTube... <laughs> It's the Duke's Love Mayo it. Bowl. And if you're watching here, not only do I have a jar of Duke's mayonnaise because I am a huge fan, I also have their Duke's Southern Sauce because I am a huge Duke's fan. So I don't know. Maybe, Duke's, if, if somehow, you know, this falls into your uh, your viewership here, maybe we should all be uh, – well, Jed will be at the game. Skyler will be at the game too because that's in his home turf. Maybe Owen and I should get some sponsorships here. But I am a big Duke's guy. I love this. For a lot of different reasons. The game is in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Panthers play. Why am I putting these Dukes bottles away? Let's put these. Hold on. Let's put these in the. Yeah, just leave them out there on display. Let's put, the, yeah. let's put these in the shot right there on display, baby. Um, December 27th. It's a Wednesday, 530 Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Panthers play. Right. Uh, the site of that 2018 opening uh, game against Tennessee, where Will Greer and the boys took the Vols behind the woodshed. And a lot of fun was had there Labor Day weekend. Jed, we had speculated a little bit. Uh, could we be going back to Memphis? Uh, could we be going back to some bowl that's, you know, maybe out in Arizona that doesn't start until 1030 East Coast time? I think all things considered, this is this is pretty exciting for, you know, all the potential bowl matchups and destinations that, you know, that we thought we had to potentially sink our teeth into. I was excited when I saw this announcement today. Yeah, it, it was a broad array of possibilities coming into the day, right? You didn't know where the chips might fall because there's so many moving pieces from the top down that impact this. In other words, let's look first at the Big 12. Was Texas going to make the playoff? That was the first moving piece for the Big 12 and their bowl affiliations. Uh, second question, was Oklahoma going to make a New Year's Day bowl? If so, that could impact the pecking order of the remaining Big 12 bowls. But sometimes the craziest things happen out of left field, and it's not a Big 12-affiliated bowl traditionally anyway, as it turns out, uh, because the way it played out, the SEC with nine teams were bowl, bowl eligible, the Big 12 with nine teams bowl eligible. So a lot of the chatter that you heard today, the horse trading that was going on, was to get us into a bowl that made great regional sense against another regional brand in North Carolina. So 
you touched on it, Wes. 2018, the last time we were down there, I went down a couple days early with my family, took in the sights of Western Carolina, got to visit the spot where they filmed Last of the Mohicans, one of my favorite movies. It was an awesome trip all around. So by the time the, the game rolled around on Saturday, I was ready to rock and roll. And it was a great trip. And you've seen the viral videos of the post game of Country Roads you know, being sung, being sung by 50, 60, maybe even 60 some odd thousand fans. I was, I was one of those 60,000 fans. You were one of those 60,000. My memory from that game was, is the rain delay. Because I remember at halftime, I had to leave the stadium and there was something in my bag from a, an equipment standpoint that I needed. And I had uh, a running with security because at that point I was literally the only person uh, in the stadium. They're like, what are you doing outside? Get back in. That's what I remember from that. But but uh, I think it's a great opportunity. The way the chips fell, it makes perfect sense for West Virginia. It's going to make a lot of sense as well for North Carolina, Mac Brown and his company, uh, his crew. Uh, so many storylines, whether you want to go to Chad Scott, a former Tar Heel running back, Lonnie right. Galloway, a former West Virginia assistant as the pass game coordinator down there for the Tar Heels. But uh, why not Duke's Mayo? I mean, I like the mayo bath in the past, that tradition for the coaches. Now, Neil might I need, not like it, right? I need Neil Brown just doused in a full a full cooler of, of mayo. Let's do it. Let's do it. Absolutely, let's do it. It's December 27th, just enough time after Christmas to provide for some reasonable travel. Uh, great kick time. It's not too late. It's not too early. So uh, what's not to like about this? But uh, you and I were talking off the air, Wes, the first consideration in any non-playoff bowl these days, as you always ask yourself, all right, what about some of the more premier players? Uh, are they going to opt out? Are they not going to take part? Now, first thing I think in recent years, when I hear North Carolina, I think Drake May. Absolutely. One of the better quarterbacks in all of college football. The question is, we've heard no news so far. Maybe by the time this episode even drops, there will be news. I'd be surprised otherwise, to be honest with you. Uh, but will Drake may play? You kind of got to sort of wonder. There's probably a fair to middling chance he won't. Uh, we'll get into that. We have plenty of time to talk about that, wh whichever way the chips may fall. But but o North Carolina has been a very offensive driven, as you might expect. Great skill guys, great quarterback uh, conducting things. Uh, an offensive driven football team. Uh, they're among the national leaders in a lot of key categories. They lead the ACC. A lot of key categories. When you look at total offense, they lead the conference. They lead the ACC in total offense. They're number four in the country. When you look at scoring offense, they're number two in the ACC, 37 a game. Uh, passing offense, number one in the ACC, 307 a game, number eight in all of FBS. And they run the football well as well. They, they're tied for top of the ACC in rushing offense. So they're a handful offensively. Now, defensively, not so much. It's more about opportunity than just slamming the door on people. They're number 12 in the ACC in total defense, 11 in rush defense, dead last against the pass. So we'll we'll talk about all these things sure. as we work down an actual preview episode and we get closer to game time. But in the meantime, I think all offense uh, struggled on defense, but they're opportunistic. Uh, from a turnover margin standpoint, that defense has put them in position to be plus seven, which is good enough to be number three in the ACC. So that's the role the defense has played. Uh, but I, I think it's a great matchup. It's a great opportunity for a West Virginia team that's playing some of its better football down the stretch. Now, when you look at North Carolina at large, the narrative behind their season has been an interesting one. They crested this year. Uh, they cracked the top 10. They were number 10 yeah, in the country. Six and the Associated six and Press. to start the yeah, season. Six yeah, 6-0. Oh, that's exactly right. Uh, and it wasn't until after 6-0 and oh that this second season of struggle started to set in for them. They, of course, finished 8-4. and four, And the way they got there, they got upset by – at 6-0, and oh, they got upset by Virginia. Bad then they loss. got upset by Georgia Tech. Bad uh, ultimately, they won a shootout against Duke, which they nearly lost that one. Uh, and then they, they uh, got knocked off by Clemson. And uh, Gibby and his crew at North Carolina State kind of put it to them uh, uh, with North Carolina on the road at NC State for the finale. So they finished eight and four, but an incredibly talented, dynamic, explosive football team. I think it makes for a great matchup. And, you know, for me, it's about a six hour drive. It's reasonable from Morgantown. It's reasonable really from just about any point in West Virginia, even the Northern Panhandle. You're looking at eight and a half, nine, depending on where you're at. So I would fully expect 
West Virginia fans to not only travel, we're kind of like the Steelers in that sense, Wes. What I always say is this, do we travel well? Yes, of course we do. But, but it's not just that we travel well. We also everywhere. come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Exactly. You have so like many all those, displaced all those West fans in, All those fans in Orlando for the UCF game, they weren't driving from Morgantown or from no, West they Virginia. They lived there. There are people <laughs> – we're the only state in the country that since the 1940 census has gone down in population instead of up. And what that's done is it's forced a lot of people to leave the state, but they left their heart here. They left their passion for Western sports here. So they might live in Arizona or Orlando or the Carolinas, wherever it might be. And when we travel to within striking distance of all these displaced mountaineers, mm -hmm. they come out of the woodwork. Yes, we travel well. We always have. But they also come out of the woodwork. And that yeah. is how you sell out a large venue like we figure to do in Charlotte against North Carolina. And I'm glad you said that too, Jed, because, you know, this game, like all bowl games, like most bowl games, has been called different things in the past, right? When when we were there in 2008 and Pat White's last game to play North Carolina, it was the Meineke Car Care Bowl, right? It's It's been called different things in the past. The two largest attended games ever in the history of this bowl, WVU North Carolina in 2008, that was number one. WVU in Virginia in 2002, that was number two. The two I wish highest, I could forget that game. the two, yeah, you and me both. The first one, pretty good. The second one, eh, the two highest ever attended games in the history of this bowl game have both involved WVU, and the you know when they do the the Dukes kickoff classic again, it was called something different in 2018 when WVU played in it. I, I can't yeah. remember if it was the Goodyear yeah. kickoff or whatever it was, was but it Belk? Belk, that's exactly what it was. Okay. Good memory, good memory it was the Belk kickoff classic. That WVU-Tennessee game was the second highest attended kickoff classic that they've ever had in the history there before. The only higher one was like Georgia in Tennessee or Georgia in North Carolina or somebody had, a, had you know, 3,000 more people there or something like that. So hey, when the Mountaineers play in Charlotte, we show up. We show up. We do. We turn out. And, and even thinking back to that game against Virginia, uh, of course, that was Rich's first really solid team. OK, that that surprised a lot of folks. And and that was a, that was a Virginia team. I don't think a lot of people recognize just how good they were. Wally Lundy was a freshman back. Matt Shaw was the quarterback. Heath Miller. I mean, I'm a Steeler yeah. fan, yeah. too. So every time he caught a pass to a Steeler career, I still couldn't help. But a little bit thinking of that game in Charlotte. But that was a good Virginia team. And it was Rich's first good team. And that, that was a massive crowd, as you just touched on for that one. But, yeah, we turned out in Charlotte. Mountaineers, this just in. Uh, Mountaineers love the Carolinas. That's why they don't want us in the ACC because we know we'd be taking over all their all their rinky dink half filled stadiums. Speaking of the ACC, segue. I'm not sure we want the ACC. Say, speaking of the ACC, we're gonna get there in a minute. We're gonna we're gonna break and, and talk a little college football playoff. Uh, but yeah, I'm 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 excited about this. A lot of the other potential matchups that were floated out there, I think a lot of WVU fans were thinking this as well too. Weren't really, you know putting a, a pep in your step, but I think this one does an ACC opponent, another big brand, um, the game in Charlotte in Drake May's hometown. We'll see if that has any effect on if he decides to play or not, but the Mountaineers are queen city bound Wednesday, December 27th, 5 30 PM kickoff against the North Carolina. There's two queen Tar Heels. There are. There's yeah. Is it Cincinnati cities. or yeah. Charlotte? We need to have a Cincinnati. war between Cincinnati yeah, and Charlotte to decide yeah. who's actually the queen city here. Um, as somebody yeah, who, who has is. spent as someone who's spent a decent amount of time in both cities, I'm going to ride with Charlotte. OK. <laughs> well, and I'll say this, Wes. Better we, weather, we, more to do, nicer people. More to do. Yeah. When you stop and consider all the possibilities that seem to be on the table in the last day or two from a projection standpoint, facing Toledo in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, facing who knows who in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, facing who knows who in the guaranteed rate. Uh, like you said, a late kickoff in Arizona. This is a pretty optimal situation for West Virginia. The horse trading that was involved behind the scenes, yeah. I'm sure that'd be a fascinating 30 for 30 one day. But uh, I think at the end of the day, we landed in a really solid spot. I think so too. And speaking of a fascinating 30 for 30, one day maybe how the college football playoff committee just killed the acc <gasps> jed and i will talk we know our four playoff teams and there's always some controversy with this but man this year in the final year of four teams it has been ratcheted up to another level so jed and i will get into that a little bit on the other side as we uh 
look at the so this is that was our WVU news of the day right now we'll go national college football news of the day when we return on the other side Jed Drenning Wesley Euler you are in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guarantee to, to save, save you thousands. thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. If you work the land, you just got to be a jack-of-all-trades type. There's just too much to do. So if you got to be a welder or a farmer or a ditch digger, that's just who you are that day. Then tomorrow, you can be somebody else. Get your coyote at the new location of Johnston Equipment between Weston and Buckhannon. Back in the gun here, and it is time we have discussed the Mountaineers and their bowl matchup now to discuss the college football playoff. Heck, even on an NFL Sunday, I think, Jed, the biggest story in sports uh, in this country. And you know what? Speaking of NFL Sunday, it is Sunday night as you and I record this. I wanted to mention this in the first segment, completely forgot, but it'll still work here. Uh, I just got home, literally. I mean, Jed and I started recording this 10 minutes after I got home from from working the Steelers game against the Cardinals, you know, my my day job responsibilities. And how about our guy Dante Stills, baby, recovering a fumble yeah. there at Acrisure Stadium, that? all right? I know Dante had some bad taste in his mouth about the last time he was in that that stadium, uh, and I was excited to see, even though I work for the Steelers, all right? If any Steelers people are listening to this, don't get me fired, okay? Uh, I was excited to see the uh, the WVU guy. You know what? I can say that, too, because they were all talking about James Conner and how much they love seeing the pit guy come back and have success. So I can say yeah. that about Dante, damn it. All right, because he didn't run for 100 yards on the Steelers on Sunday uh, like the pit guy did. So, yeah, big shout-out to Dante. Uh, I got to talk to Ron Wolfley. Before the game, of course, uh, WVU Hall of Famer, legend, uh, color commentator for the Cardinals. So he was in there. I was talking to him before the game, chatted with him for a minute about Coach Nealon and, and him getting uh, enshrined and how much that was deserved. And then, of course, you guys know, I had to talk to him about Kaiser, had to talk to him about Dante. Kaiser leads the team in tackles. He didn't play because he's he's injured, uh, didn't go this week. Uh, but Dante's been been starting, been playing, started on Sunday, uh, had a good game, recovered a fumble against the Steelers as well, too. Had a big tackle down near the goal line to uh, to keep the Steelers out of the end zone. So big shout out to uh, to our Mountaineers and the pros here as uh, as we were rolling along as well. A thank you to our friends at Fortis for presenting this episode of ITG for roof performance and financial security guaranteed. Visit Fortis.us. Com. Like I said, Jed, it is very rare that the NFL gets usurped. You like that? That's a big word, huh? That the NFL like gets it. you gets usurped uh, on a Sunday as the biggest story, biggest sports story in this country. But I think today that happened because at noon, uh, just before the NFL day kicked off, the college football playoff committee announced their four teams for this year's college football playoff. Number one, Michigan. Not a lot of surprise there. Number two, Washington, not a lot of surprise there. But then after that, 
was when the debate started. You had Texas, you had Bama, you had Georgia, you had the undefeated ACC champion, Florida State. How would it all shake out? Would the SEC get snubbed? Would the SEC get two teams? It was, like I said, there's always debate with this, and it goes all the way back to the first year, right, when TCU gets snubbed for Ohio State, and then Ohio State ends up going and winning the national championship anyways. This year, though, in the final year of the four-team format, I think it was fitting because this is the greatest the debate has ever raged. Texas, three. Bama, four. Florida State just left out at five. Georgia at six. Jed, we've both got takes on this. We want to talk about Florida State. We want to talk about some of the other stuff. I've got an interesting take for you with the Michigan-Bama seating as well that I want to run by you before we get out of here, but just kind of your initial uh, gut reaction and thoughts to the four teams that made the playoff. Well, let's start with Michigan. First of all, I think they're the victors in all this. For all the conversations taking place, none of them are about – the Michigan storyline over the last theory. month and a half. It's like it didn't happen now. And right. in addition to that, Michigan, for the better part of the last four games, Wes, talk about competition or not, offensively, with J.J. McCarthy, with their starting quarterback, they haven't exactly lighted things up. Uh, when you look at the game of Penn State, 287 yards, not dynamic offense on the road against a really good Penn State defense. Maryland, they struggled. They didn't put up 300 yards against Maryland. Ohio State, they did enough to get it done. Uh, You saw them struggle against Iowa. So that's four straight games with their starting quarterback that they people are acting like it's a foregone conclusion. Michigan's your one. Don't even debate it. Don't even discuss it. So I, would, I think they I would, the I would have voted Washington. I would have voted Washington as my number one team, honestly. Well, that's what I'm saying. I would entertain that argument. Yeah. And so you move to number two. You know, and you, you have do you Washington. know the you know the real quick, you know the, the the quad one wins. Do you know that phrase? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like an advanced analytic thing, right? Where quad that's one right. is the best analytics team, quad two, quad three, quad four. So, like, what's yeah. your quad one record? What's your quad? How do you do against the upper echelon teams? How do you do against the second wave of teams? How do you do against tier four teams? Do you have any bad losses, right? Michigan was 3-0 and against quad one teams this season. Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa, I think. Washington was 7-0. and They played more than double the amount of quad one teams than Michigan did this season. Um, and they beat a much better team in their conference championship game than Michigan did. So, yeah, I, I would add Washington 1 and Michigan 2, but I digress. And played really well in doing it. Uh, on a neutral side, I mean, I was very impressed by Washington on Friday and have, night. And have probably the, the best Oregon. collegiate quarterback in the game right now in Michael Penix Jr. And that's that's a nasty Oregon defense, and and they got it done. But so now moving on to number three, you have this conversation with Texas, with Alabama, with Florida State. First, Texas, I I think you have to put them in. They have easily the best win of in, on anyone's resume. Nobody has a better win than going on the road and winning in Tuscaloosa by double digits the way they did. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will have you believe, well, that's a different Alabama team. The team that played against uh, Texas and against South Florida and almost lost. That's okay, a different Alabama team. Hey, don't play the game. Well, again, I don't know that's a different Alabama team. I hate the eyeball test to determine that. I just know what can you've I, actually done on the football field. That's what can I know. Can I, that's can what I, I'm right. I'm limited Thank to that. you. Thank you. And and you know what bothers me so much about that, Jed, is if Texas, instead of going to Alabama and beating them in Alabama by double digits, not on a last-second field goal, by double digits, if Texas would have played UTEP instead, right, and would have gone and and, would have played UTEP, like, everyone would be laughing, oh, oh my gosh, they only played one good team all year and it was Oklahoma and they lost. You know what I mean? Like, that drive, do you want teams to play big out of conference games or not? Do you, do, do you want to see WVU and Penn State? Do you want to see Texas and Alabama? Do you want to see Notre Dame and Ohio State? If you want to see those big non-conference games early in the season, like I'm pretty sure we all do, do you want to see LSU and Florida State? Yeah, duh, of course you do. Then those games matter because if they don't, just play UTEP, just play Sam Houston State, just play Rice because it doesn't matter. Like it, it, that, that drives me. Oh, it's two months ago. That's a completely different Alabama team. Well, which is which is also ironically the same reason I don't think you can indict Alabama too harshly because I, I, I would agree they with that. chose to play I the would game. Agree with that. 100% and instead of playing Kent too. State, yeah, I mean if they played a Mac school. We wouldn't be having this conversation at all. Alabama, Alabama has probably the best. Alabama has the best loss of you know. We just said Texas Absolutely. has the best win. Alabama that, has the best. That loss. matters for yeah. something. 
Okay. But now let, let's go back to how Florida State slid out of the previous week's poll, which I do think that's part of the issue. Part of the issue is the committee sets themselves up for this kind of criticism because to feed the beast of the worldwide leader ESPN, you have to have, you don't just release the poll as it might stand the week of the final four. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. You have to have a weekly TV show starting Halloween week. And that way you can show the transparency of where teams stand now, where teams stand next week, the week after. That creates the issue. That's why people had an issue in 2014 when TCU went out sitting at number three and blew the doors off a bad Kansas team 56 to three and and do what you're supposed to do against a bad Kansas team and then fell three spots or fell two spots. That That's the issue. That level of transparency to feed the beast that is the worldwide leader to give them content to have that show for that weekly release of the, the weekly rankings, that's part of the issue. In other words, I do sometimes wonder if the only poll that came out was this one, you would still have some answering to do, but maybe not to the extent that you do. Like, like for instance, how can you even account for Georgia dropping four spots from last week's poll? Right. That doesn't right. make sense. So they, they wrote it into their bylaws to give themselves an out saying based on coaching availability, based on premier player availability, that can impact things. Well, the question I have, if in fact that's the case, how do you, again, if, if what happens on the field matters, who's the second best player on Texas's offense? If Quinn Ewers is the best and they found a way to win a couple games without him, on paper you might think it'd be an Xavier Worthy. Or there's a couple candidates, but the way it played out on the field, their second best player is Jonathan Brooks. Jonathan Brooks is gone. He's gone. He's not playing again this season. That didn't impact the committee's valuation of Texas at number three. He's their feature back. He's their 1,100-yard rusher who's not coming back. Why didn't that impact things, or did it? I don't know the answer to that. But the truth of the matter is this. If you're Florida State, and you not only go unbeaten in a Power 5 conference, say what you want or what you don't want about the ACC. You also went on the road against two SEC teams and beat both of them, including LSU. You throttled them by three touchdowns on the road. So neutral, you didn't just go unbeaten neutral site, in the ACC. Still. Neutral site, yes. Yeah. Neutral site. You throttled LSU at a neutral site by three touchdowns. So you have two SEC wins. Say what you want about the ACC and their quality or lack thereof depth. But Florida State took care of business as presented to them on their schedule. And I am so tired of having the, those who defend the current system say, well, you got it. The regular season matters more than any other sport. Explain that to Florida State. If the regular season matters more than any other sport, explain that to Florida State. It's not created equally. Some teams are allowed to lose. Some teams are not. Correct. Stop with the nonsense of the most meaningful regular season. If it's the most meaningful regular season, then why do we play 60 games in November and 55 of them don't matter for squat? Five of them might. Mm -hmm. Stop with the most meaningful regular season. At least next year. I mean, that's the only caveat is the committee now gets to ride off into the sunset and not be held to account because this will never again happen Correct. starting next year with the 12-team playoff. And I think that's part of the reason why they were like, yeah, hey, we can get away with this. Let's do it. I, I completely agree with you. I yeah. do agree with that. If you're looking at another 14 proposition next year, different animal. So I've had people – I don't think people understand what a 12-team means. I really don't. When I hear them, them criticize it, they're saying – I've had people actually suggest that, well, now teams are going to rest their players. In November, because wait, don't you understand? You are intensely battling for a higher seed to play at home and not have to go on the road. You're intensely battling for a top four seed to get a bye week. In mm -hmm. other words, we will see more meaningful football in the month of November than we have ever seen because it's a 12 team playoff where seeding matters. So, in other words, it's not just, it doesn't just matter if you go or don't go. Now you have something else that matters and something else that you're playing for. And think in the about past, it, Jed, just think about Saturday. Like Oklahoma State, yeah, they're playing to win a Big 12 championship, but they know if they win, they have no chance to go to the playoff. Kansas, Kansas yes. State, Kansas State last year, yeah, they're playing TCU for a Big 12 championship, but they know they have no chance of going to the playoff. Well, guess what? You win that, and all of a sudden you are going to the playoff. You're the higher seed. 
you're going to the playoffs and you're a higher seed. You're enhancing your seat. Like, like you might look at the Ohio State Michigan game as well. 12 teams makes that renders that useless. I'm like, are you kidding me? The winner of that is going to get a first round bye. That's worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are battling every week throughout the month of November. If you play the Citadel on November 15th, now that might hurt you because you might lose. In other words, the way it's going to be structured in a 12-team playoff, the first, the top four teams get buys. They have to be a conference champ, so no Notre Dame in the top four. And then five through eight in round one will host nine through 12. So let's say you're number seven, and one of the things you're doing is you're playing, oh, I don't know, some MAC team on November 15th. Well, the team that's number eight is playing a competitive team and wins by two touchdowns. You can't, against a MAC team, hold at number seven. You might lose your home field seed now. Games will matter in November more than they ever have. Please understand that. Please understand that you're fighting for far more than just getting into the playoff. You're also fighting for your standing if you get in the playoff. So I don't understand people's argument against resting players. Are you Are you saying, who's going to rest players? It's, it's not going to happen. In other words, take the NFL, Wes. The NFL structured in such a way that teams do sometimes, and this is the worst part of it, rest player because it's a mathematical equation. You recognize, hey, even if we win next week, we're still the three seed. Right, but when there right. is a committee deciding the seeds, you don't know that. You can't take that risk. You can't do what the NFL does and rest your players saying, well, we're going to be the three seed no matter what, when there is a committee well, it's deciding it's, who the it's seeds week, are. It's week 18, and we know we're going to Miami for the first round of the playoffs next week. Absolutely. So all that's going to matter, but this is a terrible thing that happened to Florida State. It's a horrible, wretched, terrible thing. Uh, I understand that you protected yourself by writing into your guidelines. Well, yeah, yeah you can count a team out because they have a, a coach down, they have a player out, whatever the but situation you know what? might be. The most tragic thing might have been the tweet by Jordan Travis. The tweet yeah, know, by Jordan I Travis that, that I, I know that hits you. Chat, I know that hits you right in the feels. Saying, "I wish I would have broken my leg earlier in the season so the rest of the world could see how good this team is without me, just like I see it." That is tragic. When you have a college football player saying, I wish I broke the bone earlier in the season. That's and I understand what he's saying. He believes in his team in a way that the committee very obviously doesn't. That's sad. So it is. It's listen, I I do feel bad for Florida State. I do. You go 13 and 0 and and you're the first, you know, power conference champion to get left out. I feel bad uh for Florida State in that regard. I feel bad. For Florida State, I mean, it is the hypocrisy of the thing, right? Like, if going undefeated doesn't matter, then why was Cincinnati in in 2021 when you knew they were going to be massive underdogs in the first round, right? Because they went undefeated and they won the ACC. I mean, or the AAC, pardon me. If, if you know, the language of, which is, again, in the College Football Committee's bylaws or mission statement or whatever the hell of, you know, if significant injury or absences occur, that'll be taken into consideration why didn't it matter in 2015 when Ohio State was down to their third-string quarterback? And I, I know we can all say, well, Ohio State went on to win the national championship. They did. None of you knew who Cardell Jones was at that time, all right? So, so, so spare me that. Neither did – the committee didn't, hadn't seen Cardell Jones in practice and didn't know what he was going to look like out there against Alabama and against Oregon in those two games. So that's what, that's what bothers me more about it is the hypocrisy from, okay, well, going undefeated mattered for Cincinnati two years ago who weren't even in a power conference, and losing the quarterback didn't matter to Ohio State in 2015 like it does now to Florida State. That's why I feel for Florida State. They won all their games, and what you're saying is essentially is the results don't matter. I feel for them in that regard. Can I give you the other side of it, though, Jed? The ACC voting against expanding the playoff? Well, the— Listen, I do not feel bad for the ACC at all. In fact, I hope this is the beginning of the end of the ACC and Florida State and the others use this as a catalyst to get out because, yes, because that and because the ACC snubbing their nose up at WVU for multiple decades now. Oh, but your academics aren't good enough to get into the ACC. We can't have West Virginia in the ACC. When it makes all the sense in the world, when we'd fill your stadiums, when we'd have your best rivalries outside of the hardwood, right, other than Tobacco Road and basketball. But you want to talk academics in the ACC when North Carolina had the most embarrassing cheating scandal in the history of college sports when it comes to academics. I digress with all of that. 
The one part of this that I don't feel bad in is that it's it's always been made up. It's always been the committee in a room deciding who are the four best teams. And be honest with me here, Jed, okay? Be honest with me. If Florida State's playing Texas this weekend, who you picking? If Florida State's playing Alabama this I'm weekend, who you, who, who are you picking? I'm playing Texas. But here's the thing. Last week, I knew the rivalry nature of the Iron Bowl would make it more interesting than it should. But I never in my wildest dreams would have thought it took a fourth and goal miracle sure, from the sure. 31 no for doubt. Alabama no to win. I'm not no – see, the, the trouble I have with the whole committee process, I'm not so arrogant as to believe I always know the best teams. I, I, I don't know nearly enough to be able it's to just... always tell you who the best teams are. I've, often, I've missed on way too many things in life. Hey, that team's better than that team, and then that team gets smoked by four touchdowns. The I, games the should matter. So what it comes back to is the games should matter. Yes, the opportunities, the access should matter, okay? The access should matter. That's why I get back to limiting it to four teams. You are setting the committee up for failure because nobody is possibly smart enough to always know who the four best teams are. I don't care if you use eyeball tests. I don't care what buzz phrase or buzzword you come up with. That's pure, unmitigated nonsense. Completely and, and to ask, and that's the theoretical question that's always asked. Like, well, hey, who would you pick if Georgia was playing such and such this week? Why pick Georgia? What does that have to do with anything? Does that mean Georgia's absolutely going to win and I'm certain well, of it and I'm never wrong? Of course I I'm don't, not. I don't think it has anything to do with anything except for in this conversation because that's how the college yes. football playoff operates. There is no way to so, – until next year, there's no automatic way to You're qualify. always going to have a committee playing some role in this. That's the necessary evil that I accept. What I'm striving to do – is marginalized to the greatest yeah. extent possible the role they play. In other words, you don't want to jump to a 60-14 playoff like Mike Leach might ultimately in his dreams want before he passed away. But look, I, I'll entertain the argument of an expanded playoff. But see, you want some sweet spot between four, which is absurd, and too many. Okay, so is it eight? Is it 12? Is it 16? I'll entertain any of those conversations because – I don't like the sport being treated like Olympic figure skating this time every year and a group full of judges telling me who the best teams are. Well, you play the games to decide. Apparently you don't because some teams are allowed to lose those games and other teams aren't. Quit saying that. Quit telling me the games matter. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Why are some teams allowed to lose and other teams aren't? Quit acting like this is played out on the field when it so very obviously is not. All I'm asking expanded a little more just enough to mitigate the human errors that the committee will very obviously always make because they're human. Yep. I don't know enough. They I'm don't know enough. That. Nobody knows enough. I don't. And just because Ohio state was able to win the whole thing in 2014, I, I, I always thought, well, that's kind of a weak argument too. I mean, I'm sure there's some teams who didn't make the 2014 playoffs who also, if things went their way, could have won the whole thing. That's not the point. Baylor and TCU. None of this is the point. <laughs> so if you get the 12 teams, I mean, yeah, I don't know I, what Baylor and TCU, those are two very different teams in 2014. If they get hot, if they catch the breaks, I don't know the answer. I'm sure there's some people sitting out there right now thinking there's no way they could have done. I'm glad you know that because I don't. I'm not smart enough to know that. The committee's not smart enough to know that. And stop telling me, well, they didn't pass the eyeball test. Are you telling me if Alabama plays such and such, then this would, I have no idea what would happen. No idea what would happen. I didn't think Auburn had much of a chance against Alabama. And, and look at it like this. Just name whatever upset you want to name in the last five years, 10 years, history of college football. If you saw all those upsets coming, you're a much wiser person than me because I did not. I can't predict every game, and I can't tell you the best team out of every list of group of teams. I can't do it. Nobody can. Now, they might be able to think, are you seriously going to tell me that this team has any chance to be better than that team? No, I'm not. That team might well, have 10 times more players That's drafted. what everybody that said about might... TCU and Michigan last year, and we all saw how that turned out. Absolutely. I mean, TCU shouldn't even be allowed in, and they beat Michigan, despite all the other things that were playing out. So, I, look, the level of arrogance it takes to sit there and say, well, Alabama is clearly, and we know for a fact, that Alabama team that won on a fourth and goal 31 from the 31, no way in the world they could possibly lose to any of these teams you're talking about, even though they should have lost to Auburn, who got beat by three touchdowns a week before by New Mexico State. How do you think you know all these things? How do you possibly think you know that much? Nobody you know does. You and know I'm why, telling Jed? you, Mike Leach, 
is the voice of God on this topic. When you listen to his rants, he is so spot on. Now, again, he can take it to the extreme with the 60-14 playoff, but I'm not even saying that. Just confine what he has to say about the committee and the absurd nature of thinking that a committee knows best to pick the four teams that should be allowed to participate. That's absurd. And if you are a true champion, if you're good enough, then guess what? You can let eight more teams in. You can earn a bye. You can win a home field game. Whatever the case might be, if you're the best team, you should have zero problem with this. And the other part of it I don't understand, look, 16s versus ones in the NCAA tournament are usually blowouts. And I'm not trying to turn this into basketball. We're fundamentally different as a sport than they are. But what I'm saying is, even if you have, for instance, Iowa-Michigan was a 23-point spread. Michigan was favored by 23, and they covered. And guess what? I watched the whole game. And I'd rather watch 100 more games just like that one than listen to 10 more men, minutes of talking heads talk about what game should or shouldn't be played. I want to watch football games. I want to see on a football field between the lines who is the better team. And if you are remotely enough to get in the conversation, then step on a field and let's settle it the way it should be settled, not in a committee debate. I, I don't understand that for the life of me because well, I'll sit through 10 blowouts to see that one upset. I'm fine with that. As long as I know the possibility that an upset can happen. And the last time I checked, this still is college football, which means an upset can happen. I don't, and don't complain. Well, you're going to see a bunch of blowouts in the first round. Fine. Go watch Gunsmoke. You don't have to watch it. What do you care? Why are you complaining about this? You you talk to me as if you're entertained more by ESPN's updates on what a committee might say than an actual football are, game. What is nation wrong that, with you? We are a nation that loves drama. I mean, I'm not saying take this to way too many teams. I, I'm not smart enough to know how many teams too many teams is. But I do think I'm smart enough to know that four isn't enough. Completely That's right. what I'm saying. And I'll entertain the conversation at any point beyond that, because what we've done, and Rick Neuheisel, who's way smarter than I could ever dream of being, he makes the point that what you've done with this four-team playoff has created, for the first time in the history of the sport, super teams. Because all the premium recruits, all the four- and five-star blue chippers, they're the most coveted, are being funneled to the same six or seven schools because they're the only ones with consistently realistic access to the big prize, to the playoff. So they all end up at the same six or seven schools. And unless something changes, they're going to continue to all end up. They'll leave their home state, travel across yep. the country. Yep. You know, uh, C.J. Stroud started at Ohio State before he's in the NFL starting now. California kid. Bryce Young started Alabama. California kid. Why? Because they want to go to the playoffs. And as long as there's only five or six teams with a consistently realistic possibility to do that, all those top-tier kids are only going to go to those five or six schools. So open it up to 12 playoff slots instead of four, and you open it up to instead of five or six teams, it's some years a couple dozen. It's sometimes 25 or 30. Whatever it might be, now it broadens the field of teams that those top players are going to. Parity is not a bad thing. I mean, these people talk about the NFL like it's radioactive. The single most dominant marketing and TV force in the history of our nation, and they talk about it like they're idiots. Oh, they got it all wrong. They don't have a committee. They actually have a playoff structure. No, you need to do it more like us. Have a committee, be very arbitrary and capricious. People don't understand how the teams are picked. No, no, we got it way better than they do. This is moronic. I'm glad it's finally being expanded to the point that it has a, a hope or a chance to be addressed. And never again will we or should we see something as calamitous as what we saw play out with Florida State. They Every challenge before them, they conquered it. Coaches always say, look, I don't make the schedule. I try and win the games that are on the schedule. You try and go 1-0 each week. You try and win your league. You try and go and beat and see what happens next. And today, for the first time in history, doing all those things in a Power 5 conference, no matter what you want to say about the ACC, that team was left out for the first time in history. And, again, I don't entirely blame the committee because what is the right answer? With only four teams, there is no right answer. Right. You have to have more than four because more than four, I mean, Georgia is going to be left out, right? Are you telling me Georgia couldn't win the whole thing? Of course they could. I mean, even as weak as their schedule might have been this year, and I don't think they proved nearly as much in the regular season this year as they had the last couple of years, but even Georgia, of course they could. So 
don't take, well, 60 teams could win it. Let them all. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying four isn't nearly enough. Let's find the sweet spot, 8, 12, 16, somewhere in that reasonable range. I think reasonable people can agree that it needs to be four and it shouldn't be too many. So this is a major step toward that. And the crime that was committed against Florida State, I hope to never see it again. And people are saying, well, this time next year, we're going to be arguing about which nine and three teams should get in. Yes. And we'll be doing it with a smile on our faces because that won't be nearly as egregious as this conversation we're having right now, where you let a committee, a room full of committee members arbitrarily decide like Olympic figure skating, which teams do and don't have a chance to compete. I would much rather every day of the week and twice on Sunday, argue which nine and three team gets in. I would much, much, much rather do that than pretend that these things are all created equal. They're all treated equal when in fact, some teams are allowed to lose and some aren't. Mic drop moment from the signal caller, Jed Drenning. The only thing I'll add is this. I'm with everything you just said there. Next year, for the first time in the history of this sport that we love so much in college football, will you actually know the requirements to get yourself into the dance, right? You win your conference, you're going to the playoff. I mean, Jed, I think that's part of the reason why the committee got away with this for a decade. That's the way. College football, it's always been made up. It's always it's it's always been made up. Go back and look at some of the teams that claim national championships. Go back and look at Pitt, who oh, claims yeah. a national championship, uh, co-national champions with USC in the same year they lost to USC by 35 points. Go back and look at 1941, where Alabama finished third in the SEC, ranked 21st in the country, and they still claimed a national championship. I mean, those examples are littered throughout the history of the sport. It took there us was, 130 years, Wes, as a sport to, to have a real national championship game. To decide that one playing two really, at the end of the still, year is a good idea, right? It took 130 it took, years even to Jed, decide that. During the BCS, one of the first years in the BCS, remember there were the three undefeated teams? I'm drawing a blank who it was now, but Auburn was the third one who was left out. So 2004. That was early in BCS like, era. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like 19 years ago, Auburn goes undefeated, and they don't even get into the national well, championship game. So this West is not Virginia a new played, issue. When Major Harris was a sophomore, when we were 11-0 1988, who did we play? You mean throughout the or in the national championship game? Who did we play in the national championship? Notre Dame, the Fiesta okay. Bowl, the hats what right were, there. What were they thing. ranked? What were they ranked? One. What were we? Three. Three. Miami was two. Because the sport at large hadn't decided, hey, it's a good idea to have one actually play versus two and call it a championship. Even then, you had to luck into the bowl structure, letting you land in the appropriate game to have a chance to beat the top team. We could have had a split national title had we beaten Notre Dame. That could have happened. But it, it, it wasn't until the BCS in the late 90s that that first portion of the problem was addressed. What, what I'm saying is that speaks to how slow college football yep. is to react. It yep. took 130 years from Rutgers-Princeton 1869 to the late 90s with Tennessee-Florida State, the first BCS national championship. That's 130 years. So the fact that it's moving at least slightly faster to mitigate the damage, do the right thing, expand it to the point where everybody does have a chance. Like I've said before, to me, the fundamental problem with college football is if I give you six chances to pick next year's final four, I like your odds. You got a pretty good shot at being able to pick them if I give you six chances. Right. And look, you might very well land in a spot with a 12 team playoff. Where the same four teams end up as the final four. Fine. At least they had to earn their way against more meaningful teams and more meaningful games to get there. I'm perfectly fine with that. And at least you know if you win at least you know if you win your conference, you're getting invited to the dance. And if you're standing among those final four, you truly on the field, with most things being equal, had to win your way to get there. It wasn't Olympic figure skating style voting that got you there. It was football games that got you there. You had to win your way there. So if you advanced to the championship with a 12-team format, you had to earn your way to that championship. You didn't get voted to that championship. Voting is always going to contribute. Voting is going to have to play a role. We're not the NFL. We don't have one football czar and one structured system to allow so many teams to win their division. And I don't want that. I'm not going to say we need that. 
What I'm saying is you want a system that encourages competitive and marquee non-conference games like Texas, Alabama. You don't want to punish it. You want to encourage it. But in addition to that, you also want a system that grants reasonable access to good football teams and not just box everybody else out because you don't have the right brand on your helmet. That's the issue. When I go back to 2014, I can make an argument for or against TCU Baylor. Fine, fair enough. But at the end of the day, the brand landed in the top four. It was Ohio State. And at the end of the day right now, yes, as some people might look at Florida State as a blue blood, but in the pecking order of blue bloods, come on. It's not no, top-tier blue blood. Alabama, Alabama is top-tier blue yeah. blood. So the SEC rules the day. And I'm not on any level suggesting that Alabama isn't one of the top handful of teams in the country. I think Nick Saban maybe has just earned his name or way into the coach of the national coach of the year consideration. When, when you look at how atrocious their O-line was for two-thirds of the season, the improvement that they've showed, the improvement that Jalen Milrow has showed as a quarterback, all the shortcomings by Alabama standards that they've had to overcome and still battle their way, not just to the SEC West, but to the SEC in Georgia, that's impressive. I'm not, I'm not taking – this isn't about attacking Alabama. This is about saying what happened to Florida State is a crime. And it was going to happen to somebody because four teams is not enough, and it's absurd, and it's ridiculous. And I hate that it took even as many years as it did. I was going to say, finally of, course it happens that in, of course it happens in the last year. Yeah, <laughs> And I hate even more, I hate even more that there are still people beating their chests and defending that this is the way to go. Oh, well, 12 is too many. You know what? Then Wes and I will sit here and enjoy the blowouts, waiting on the upset yeah. to happen. My favorite you thing. Can, Whatever you wanted to do, go My do favorite it. Don't thing. watch I football. Saw, I saw reasonable, like like legitimate college football and 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 media minds that were saying Washington should have been left out. And I'm just like, what? Are, like, what are we doing here? What are we doing, what, what are we yeah, doing the, here? Yeah, the team that beats well, the team that beats seven quad one teams. The team that actually, you ready for this? The Pac-12 was the best conference in college football this yes, season. This the, year team, was. the team, this the year team, the team, the team that won that and has the this likely Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, they should be left out. Get the bleep. And you know out what? Of it. it should be Georgia maybe, and Alabama maybe, maybe every West, single year. Maybe we've reached a point where you just have all teams report to a combine in August, <laughs> and we put the positions through skill drill drills and say, well, there's your four best teams. There you have it. Did you see those quarterbacks throwing? I mean, that's the eyeball test. Come we'll on. Do it. Did you see those defensive we'll lines? You Indy. can't block them. That's the eyeball test. We'll those do are the it four in best before you even play a game. Let's just do that. Let's just hand somebody the Heisman because they're the best player. Let's just hand four teams the playoffs because they tested best at the combine and they have the most NFL talent, and the most draft picks. And hey, we don't even need to play the games. And if you do play the games, some are going to matter, some aren't, but we're going to pretend they all matter when in fact, wink, wink, they don't. This is nonsensical. It's absurd. It's corrupt. It's all these things and more. And it's, I'm glad that you are finally taking a major step toward doing what you can within reason to address it. And mm -hmm. that is saying, hey, people will always have to play a role. This isn't the NFL. We don't want it to be the NFL. But they need to play a little less of a role than they are right now with their hands on the power levers to determine the top four. Are you kidding me? No one is smart enough to do that. And if you want to pick the top 12 and have 13 complain, that's a complaint I can live with. That's a complaint I can live with, but I can't complain with an unbeaten Florida State at number five being left to sit home and watch this. I can't do that. I mean, I can entertain the possibility of whoever's sitting there at 13, and I'm sure it'll be a very good football team, but it won't be an unbeaten football team. Whoever's sitting there at 13 will not have the argument that Florida State has. Correct. Correct. And if they are unbeaten, Jen, they'll Jen, be unbeaten at a G5 conference. There's... There's 68 teams now, I think, that get into the NCAA March Madness, and they still debate. Oh, the 68th team were they better than the, the set? Like, so that's always going to be there. But you're you you because so so people can miss me. Again, well, now I'm all we're going to do is argue about nine and three teams. Okay, exactly. We, I, I'm not were, a curmudgeon if, who's if, like, if, well, if, I don't want arguments to be any part of this. If no, there were I, 100 I teams, if there were 100 teams in March Madness, we would still debate the 101st and the 102nd teams. As that's you just should. the. That's just the nature of sports and debate and what As we you do should. in this country. Yeah. And, and and what I've always said, Wes, I'm not against the debate. Look, I think that, that you know, a, a, a high-spirited no, debate about which I'm fine with that. That's what this but is here's what about. I am against. We're a country who I'm against drama. people lighting the debate more than they like a couple more football games. Exactly. I exactly. want more competitive football exactly. games with good teams and less debate. I, that's what I want to do. I want to take some of the debate 
and traded off for watching, actually watching with my eyes, a couple more football games, competitive or not competitive, with teams that made their way in with a body of work that deserved to get there. And one day, an upset's going to happen in some of those games and make the sport even greater. I want more of that and a little less debate. I'm glad the debate will always be here. I'm fine with that. I do think that kind of fans the flames of interest. I'm perfect with that. But what I don't want is debate replacing football. That's what I don't want. And right now, that's where we're at. You're absolutely right. That's where we're. Uh, that's where we're at for. For what? At least a couple more months here until this. Until this what you, what you end up with is Florida State against Georgia in a bowl game in which half the teams will probably opt out. Half the players on, on both teams will probably opt out of that game. That's what you're now left that's, with. And, and that's what stinks about it because, you know, in the BCS era, that would have been a massive Orange Bowl. Florida State, Georgia, five and six. And now, like you said, I mean, it's you're going to have a bunch of people who opt out. It's, you know, it, it's it's bastardized the, the entire system in a way. And I'm with you. I do think it's going to get better once we expand. We're not there yet, and that's just the nature of the beast. The thing that I'll say in closing here, too, too, because, I, listen, I know we have some people that are listening to this or have listened to this and have said, listen, I get what you guys are saying in the, in the, in the just BS that is this system and how Florida State should have been in and all these things. But, you know, it's, it's still Alabama. It's still Georgia. They're the better teams. They've got better, better players, more guys in the NFL draft, all this. At the, at the game today, before the Steelers game started, and again, this is going to drop on Monday. Sunday as we're recording this. So before the Steelers Cardinals game, I'm 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 sitting. We're having this debate, you know, in the press box and all this stuff right after the announcement is made at noon. I got one. Yeah. I got one guy who's a, who's a big SEC guy. Okay, I got another guy who's a Michigan State grad. All right, and the SEC guy's saying I don't care. Alabama and Georgia both should have been in. I I don't care what it means to anybody else. I don't care how fair, unfair. Alabama and Georgia should both be in. Almost if they have no losses or one loss, they should be in. Look at the amount of guys they put put in the NFL. Look at their programs. They're just always the best. And the Michigan State guy said, in 2016, Michigan State played Ohio State, defending national champion, right? In Columbus. And the in the in the in the winner in the winner is 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 going on to you know to to the the college football playoff. And he said that Michigan State team had like six guys who went to the NFL who played in the NFL. That Ohio State game, team had 15 guys who played in the NFL. And guess what? We beat them in Columbus because that's college sports. That's what happens. I don't care how much better Ohio State's roster was. I don't care how many more NFL that they had two or three times as many NFL guys as we did. We beat them in Columbus on a last second field goal because that's college sports because you play the games. And I'm with you. I think we have grown to listen. People in this country love drama, okay? It's why keeping up with the Kardashians is huge. It's why the college football playoff is huge. It doesn't matter if it's your sports drama. It doesn't matter if it's your Taylor Swift drama. It doesn't matter if it's a combination of those two things coming together in the sports and Swifty world. We love drama in this country. It just depends on where you go to get it, okay? It might be a cooking show. It might be Shark Tank. It might be reality TV. It might be sports. We all love drama. And I think we have fallen in love with these debates more than we have, like you said, the actual on-field results. The one thing that I like about the 12-team playoff, there's a lot that I dislike still about the 12-team playoff, and that's a different conversation for a different day. But the one that I do like is that now there's at least certain things you can do to know you're getting into the playoff, and we're taking a lot of this off the board. This was fun. Uh, I enjoyed this I episode, Jed. Oh, I did too. And, and, and there are things I dislike about the 12 team and they'd probably go the other way. In other words, well, I hold think on. That you, if you I don't know if you the, want to open up this can of worms right now. We're going to be here for another 40 minutes. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll shut it down. But all I'm, all I'm going to say is this. I, I, I think that if you're a top 14, you should have a playoff. You should have a home field game. It's still too geared toward yeah. the bowl system, yeah. which that's a whole different conversation. And the whole different conversation. I think you land in the bowl I, system yeah. with your final four, but getting there should involve on-site games. I completely agree with that. Just real quick, the thing that I hate about it is we've already nobody cares about the bowl games other than the the semifinals now, and now that's going to grow. I mean, like you and I were just talking about Georgia, Florida, a decade ago would have been a great Orange Bowl that everybody well, would have been you've, tuned in. You've into. heard my resolution for that. I did a whole episode. I know. Yeah, put them at the beginning yeah. of the season. I know. Yes. I know. You're right. But like nobody opts out. They mean everything. And, and unless, you, like, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty big college football fan. You're probably a pretty big WVU fan. You care about the Duke's Mayo Bowl. 
but nobody else cares about the Duke's Mayo Bowl anymore. Nobody else cares about the the New Year's Six games unless your team's playing in it. They just don't. That's what I hate about the new the new era of college football. The one thing I will love, just though, imagine. is we're going to finally crown legitimate national champions. September 1st, imagine I know, if we were Georgia playing. and Florida State. Yeah. I know. Listen, I know. You're right. We, you can imagine go back. Imagine if West Virginia was playing North Carolina and Charlotte. Like we can, did Tennessee. You, you listen, people can go back and they can find the episode where Jed breaks it all down for us how to fix bowl season. It's out there on your favorite WVU football podcast. The one thing we ask of you is always, Jed, is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football fo- podcast. This was fun talking a little Mayo Bowl, yeah, talking a little college football yeah. playoff. Hope you all enjoyed this. Final thank you to our guy JR and our friends at Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less than Grafton. Get your butts to Grafton and support. Uh, Toothman, who's doing so much for our student-athletes and for NIL. On our next episode, we have a pretty cool Toothman floating an idea out there with Kirk Herbstreet and Pat McAfee that we'll get into. We've got to talk to Big O uh, about that state championship game between Greenbrier West and between Williamstown, unfortunately, uh, and we will dive deep more into uh, the WVU season that was as we do some some recap stuff here for you guys soon as always so regular season might be over bowl game might be a couple weeks away but we still got plenty of content coming your way here on ITG for Jed Drenning the signal caller I'm Wesley Euler a thank you to our guy Skyler for putting this all together as always take care everybody we'll talk to you soon you've been in the gun oh wait hold on Mayo, if you're watching on YouTube, one more time. Let me get the Dukes Mayo in there, baby. Oh, the best in the business. Dukes, DM us. Call us. All right, let's have some fun. Let's do it. You've been in the gut. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.